welcome to the At Peace Parents podcast. I'm Casey, and I'm here to empower you in your decision-making as a parent of a demand-avoidant child. My goal is to share insights that will generate aha moments and support your connection with your child. I'm a mom of two amazing little boys, one of whom is PDA, and I've worked with hundreds of parents just like you to teach them how to lead their child out of burnout and find the clarity, peace, and sense of community they need. What is the difference between oppositional defiant disorder and pathological demand avoidance or pervasive drive for autonomy? So today I want to talk about this question because it's one that I get often from parents, from people on social media, et cetera. I actually just answered this question on a podcast interview that I did. So I wanted to share with you guys some of the thoughts I had that I shared on this other podcast about this question, which is what's the difference between oppositional defiant disorder and PDA? And I'm going to be bringing in some of my like social science measurement and conceptualization training, but also focus on like supporting you as a parent um, to understand for yourself whether or not this is an explanatory category or diagnosis. And I actually printed out the DSM-5 with oppositional defiant disorder um, categories so that we could go through it systematically to understand the difference. And additionally, I'm gonna talk about why I don't like oppositional defiant disorder as a category and a little story from my past. Two, how a lot of these indicators or aspects of oppositional defiant disorder do overlap a lot with certain aspects of PDA, but it's not an explanatory category. Um, And what I mean by that is like, if we go a level deeper, there's root causes that can explain this behavior that are not just your child is oppositional, that are related to trauma and or neurodivergence. And then I'm going to talk about what's missing and what we can look for as parents to understand, oh, this isn't just behavior. This isn't just a disruptive impulse control and conduct disorder, right? It's actually a neurotype and a disability. Okay, so I'm going to start by talking about the first time oppositional defiant disorder even like entered into my vernacular because I was not in this world of like clinical psychology. I'm still not, not a clinician. I see here. Yes, our diagnosis last summer was autism plus ODD. We were skeptical even before I learned about PDA. Yeah, it's actually quite common that that's like a stepping stone to PDA, especially if your child has a more externalized threat response, meaning they default to fight flight versus more of a freeze fawn response. Over four years ago, I lived in the Washington, D.C. area. I lived outside of D.C. and worked in downtown. And I worked near um, the portrait gallery for any of you guys who know the D.C. area. And so I would have this long commute. And when things were starting to go off the rails with my family, I had a lot of time on the metro to listen to podcasts. And one of the most transformative podcast episodes for me was an episode with Debbie Reber, 
on Tilt Parenting that she did with Mona Delahook. And she was talking about really challenging behaviors, which were some of the behaviors we were seeing with my son, lots of screaming, hitting, um, you know, what felt like targeted violent behavior at the time. And Mona Delahook said something that like hit my mama heart really like intuitively, which was like, I actually don't believe in ODD. She's a clinical psychologist and there's a deeper root cause, right? And her book, Beyond Behaviors, and now um, I think it's body brain parenting or body-based parenting, which I haven't read yet, is premised on this notion of like, there's something else going on beneath the surface, right? And so this isn't a diagnosis or category that even really makes sense. And I was like, my intuition was like, yeah, that's right <laughs> at the time, even though I had never heard of PDA and I wasn't even thinking that my child could be neurodivergent, right? So I see a comment coming in. I just found your page last night and it's been a whirlwind. I finally understand what's going on with my seven-year-old. Thank you so much for all you're doing. You're welcome. I'm so glad. That's why I'm here. That's my life's mission. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> okay, so let's get into the specifics of ODD. So ODD, a lot of the descriptors actually do overlap quite a bit with some of the things we see with PDA, and I'm going to read them out. A pattern of angry, irritable, mood, argumentative, defiant behavior, or vindictiveness, which, by the way, I'm like, how do you even measure vindictiveness? Like, what's the measurement for that? What are the indicators? How do you know? Lasting at least six months as evidenced by at least four symptoms of the following categories. And they specify, like, it needs to be six months so that it's not um, part of, like, a depressive or bipolar episode. Okay, so first, angry, irritable, mood, often loses temper, is often touchy or easily annoyed, is often angry or resentful. Okay, so this is something that we, we see with PDA children who are at their threshold of tolerance for nervous system activation, meaning stress in their bodies from perceiving threat. And they have a fight response, right, that looks like temper tantrums or losing their temper. So it makes sense that this would be a category that would overlap at first. Okay, then we have argumentative or defiant behavior often argues with authority figures or for children and adolescents with adults. Often deliberately annoys others, often blames others for his or her mistakes or behavior. Okay, so these are things that PDA children do, right? Um, needing to be right and arguing, like, even if it's obviously not true, like, you know, the house across the street is blue, and they're saying it's red, but it's actually blue. And this is the type of argument that will happen if they're getting into equalizing behavior to get themselves back to a place of nervous system safety. And it can feel like it doesn't make sense what they're arguing about. And this is true for PDA adults as well of like, why are we even having this argument or why are you like, why is the child like holding on to this truth that like seems random, right? But it's actually a nervous system response. Um, defying or refusing to comply with requests can look like a lot of the things we see with PDA children, like, you know, sitting at the table, eating a meal, 
brushing their teeth, walking up the stairs, coming down the stairs, putting on their clothes, taking off their clothes, all the transitions that our families struggle with. Deliberately annoying others. This to me also, I'm like, as a social scientist, how do we know it's deliberate, right? Like, unless we're surveying or asking these children, <laughs> like, we're just imposing that it's deliberate, which is the distinction we make with PDA of like, equalizing behavior or seeking that like constant undivided attention is actually a nervous system response and seeking nervous system safety. So it's not deliberate, right? Of like, mama, 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 right? Like needing you to pay attention to them. If perhaps you're speaking to your partner or trying to answer a text or uh, doing a phone call or even doing the dishes, that demand for undivided attention is actually driven by the need for like signals of safety, but it can be annoying, right? And perceived as such from the outside, from a parent. Um, however, this label of deliberate is, is part of what distinguishes it, I think, from PDA. But we're just going through the ways in which they're similar on certain levels and why it can be so confusing before we distinguish why they're actually distinct things and or ODD is just a not explanatory category for traumatized and neurodivergent children, which is my perspective. You're welcome to join me in that. <laughs> um, okay, vindictiveness, which also can fall into the category of equalizing where like you know, a sibling puts a boundary down of like, don't touch my stuff. And you see the PDA sibling deliberately destroy their things that can look like vindictiveness, but it's equalizing, which is like a reflexive um, response. And I'm not, I'm not condoning this in the sense of like, don't ever set boundaries. I'm just getting to the root cause of like, is this actually deliberate and vindictive or is this driven by a nervous system response that reflects a perception of threat? And I think the latter is more accurately describing PDA. Okay. So yeah, I just saw a comment. Some of the things I used to consider vindictive behavior, are, I now realize are better characterized as equalizing behavior. Exactly. So we're just going to go through the last part, and then I'm going to go through why I don't think this is explanatory and what you can look for as a parent to understand like, oh, this is actually not a behavioral disorder. Okay, so the disturbance in behavior is associated with distress in the individual or others in his or her immediate social context, and it impacts negatively social, educational, occupational, and other areas of functioning. Okay, so that's true for a lot of PDA kids where the nervous system activation, the perception of threat because there's a loss of autonomy or equality perceived is preventing them from engaging socially in a neurotypical way, is preventing them from accessing school, is preventing them from occupational things like brushing your teeth and and taking a bath and putting on clothes, right? And so there is that overlap as well. And then we say the behavior does not occur exclusively during the course of a psychotic substance use depressive or bipolar episode, right? Which makes sense or disruptive mood dysregulation disorder. And finally, the severity is characterized by mild symptoms are confined only to one setting 
at home, at school, at work with peers. And this is interesting because this overlaps with masking, right? So we might see a high masking PDH child who's only quote defiant at home, but they're masking or internalizing the threat response and imitating their peers to fit in. And so they're characterized as ODD mild, right? But it's actually a reflection of masking and autistic masking at that. So moderate, some symptoms are present in at least two settings. Severe, some symptoms are present in three or more settings, which actually might just be the child or person is moving towards their threshold. Yeah, and some kids are not high masking, right? So not every single PDA child is high masking. Often there's a period of their life where they might be masking, but then they reach their threshold or burnout and they no longer mask, or as they get older, they decide not to mask, right? And that's common as well. But this is all the ways that like how practitioners and clinicians are looking at your child through the oppositional defiant disorder lens overlap with PDA. And so it does make sense, right, that they're like, well, they're doing all these things. So we're going to put them in ODD because that category is in the DSM-5 and PDA is not, right? However, to equip and empower you, we can talk about all the things that aren't captured here and what's not explanatory about what's in the DSM-5 that relates to PDA, okay? And there are five things I want to mention. First, not all PDA children are defiant or explosive, <laughs> right? Some are much more like freeze, shut down, lethargic in certain, in certain contexts, right? Like crying, going into a turtle shell. Some are more avoiding and, you know, not complying through their use of things like interrupting consistently or, you know, I'm trying to talk about something that's important to me, but they have perceived a loss of autonomy or equality. Their threat response goes off and they start talking over me about something unrelated, right? That doesn't look like defiance. It looks like, and perhaps that could fall into the quote, deliberately annoying category that we have for ODD. But there's lots of ways that these children teens, potentially adults, avoid <laughs> or don't comply with requests that are not defiant at all, that are not vindictive, angry, irritable, that are, you know, potentially, you know, insisting something's true when it's not true, interrupting you, asking for your attention a million times, needing to win the game or change the rules of the game. So you have these subtle nuances that like aren't going to fall exactly into defiant, right? And like flight, right? Like is climbing on the top of a car when you're in the school par parking lot or like sort of running away from you inside of a van because now they they're out of their car seat but they don't want to go into the school the school building like yeah that can sort of feel like defiance from a parent but it's not angry or irritable it's like the child's actually trying to escape through a flight mechanism Okay, so the, I'm pointing these out to you so you can point them out to your <laughs> to your pediatrician or your 
practitioner and helping you get language around like, well, we're not thinking about this. So maybe this category or this label isn't appropriate. And what's the actual root cause? Okay. The second thing, although this, the ODD DSM-5 um, description does mention like impacting occupational aspects, like a disturbance in behavior associated with distress and impacting negatively social, educational or occupational or other areas of functioning, right? This is actually something I consider from my work with families and the preliminary research I've done as part and parcel to PDA, right? Like that's what makes it a disability is that these the constant perception of threat on a subconscious level builds in the system and impacts the child or the person physiologically, right? So like every time you go into fight, your metabolism speeds up, you get more cortisol, your adrenaline's going, you're, you know, you get blood rushing to your extremities so you can fight or flight and or flee. And this impacts your basic needs. It impacts the child's basic needs. So like almost every family I've worked with has had one basic need that was the stickiest for their child. Like, like it's not just defiance, their child actually can't sleep without sleeping in the bed with the body of the parent pushed against them because their nervous system doesn't perceive safety or the child actually like physiologically cannot eat, right? And so if your child is having basic needs access struggles to this degree, like we need to bring that to the attention of pediatricians, medical professionals as like, yeah, this isn't just behavior. It's not just anger, or irritability. Like they say their legs aren't working or like they haven't walked on their own for six months, right? Like I have to carry them into the car or I have to carry them up the stairs. So basic needs is the second category, I would say, is not explained by ODD. Third, sensory differences, right? So, you know, if the root cause of what we're calling ODD is neurodivergence or trauma, in both cases, we're going to have a sensitized nervous system that has sensory differences, right? And I know this from my personal experience, because I've been going through like a year of trauma processing and trying to understand, am I autistic? Am I just traumatized, right? And you know, I've come down on just like, actually, I I don't need to know. It's fine. But like, when I've gone through trauma processing and come out of some disassociation, all of a sudden, sounds are louder, everything smells more intense, I can't take the little junk outside of the like, <laughs> dishwashing area, because I want to vomit, like all the things, right? So if your kid has sensory issues, right? Like my son needs to be in the dark most of the time when he's home. Part of the entire living room is like, we have the light off. Is that defiance? No, that's a sensory difference. It's a need, right? Or like, you know, gagging when I unpeel a banana, right? How is that explained by ODD? That's not defiance. So again, like we need to be bringing this to the fore of like, well, how does this category of oppositional defiant disorder explain all these other things, right? So sensory differences, you know, you can talk about 
gross motor differences. You know, my son used to run into walls a lot and trip and hurt himself. And he has proprioceptive and vestibular differences. And so these are all things that we need to be looking at, right? Fourth, social communication and perceptual differences, which are part and parcel to neurodivergence and autism. And I know this can be hard to, to like see when your kid is constantly in fight, flight, freeze. Like when my son was at his most burned out and, and traumatized, I couldn't see any social communication differences because all there was no communication. It was just behavioral, right? There wasn't like, you know, we were having conversations verbally, but I think if we take a step back, we can see that as like, either they're like completely in fight flight, or we need to understand nonverbal communication. But things you can look at are like, and I always pronounce this wrong, like gestalt or gestalt language processing. Are they learning from the bottom up experientially and then they have to generalize to concepts or more neurotypical brains? So that's another reason I don't know my neurotype is because I always take the big picture and then come down, right, conceptually. But my son is like, I need to experience this thing 10 different ways before I can get the higher level concept, right? Which is like bottom-up processing. Um, you know, the fact that a lot of these kids might emotionally process over the course of two weeks, not in the moment, right? These are social communication differences that are associated with autism, um, which are not talked about in the oppositional defiant disorder categorization. So, We've named four things that you can bring to your practitioner of like, well, how do you explain this? Internalized expression, freeze fawn, or even flight, which doesn't always look defiant, basic needs, sensory differences, social communication differences. And then the fourth, which is the one that gets put into the anxiety DSM description, which is like needing to be around a safe person at all times and receive undivided attention. So often this gets thrown into the like attachment disorder or anxiety disorder. However, at the root, it's all related to the nervous system of like a child's brain is constantly perceiving threat, even for things that seem innocuous for the rest of us, because it's how the world functions. Like kids are supposed to comply with orders and imperatives. And so they're constantly having this like body response of panic it builds in the system but it also creates an experience of like my body's not safe and so the only time i actually feel safe is when i have high dopamine intense sensory and novel experiences or i'm distracting myself with a screen engaging in my special interest or with another safe body which is usually you the parent right and so it's not necessarily like an attachment disorder. It's just like they have a nervous system disability. And the only way they're going to feel safe is if they're constantly with that other safe nervous system. So those are the five things that you can bring to your practitioner or your pediatrician with my blessing. <laughs> I know I don't have any power or anything, but just like to help you articulate to people in your life, like this isn't oppositional defiant disorder, because if it was, it would be an explanatory category and it would account for all of these other differences that actually are explained by neurodivergence and or trauma 
but most likely by PDA. Okay, that's my little manifesto <laughs> on ODD because I feel quite strongly about it. And also, can I just riff for a second and say like, reading through this, I'm like, but what's the why? Like often loses their temper, often touchy, angry, vindictive. Like why? Why would a child be like that, right? And also the unless they had trauma or neurodivergence or some root cause causing it because it's like premised on the assumption that like these kids are bad you know and then we have to keep in mind with ODD that what's recommended is more strict parenting which is going to be counterindicative for your child if they are not if they are PDA thanks everyone for being here with me at the at peace parents podcast This is your source for all things related to understanding, supporting, accommodating, and advocating for your PDA child. To go deeper on any of these topics, check out my course offerings and masterclasses at the website www.atpeaceparents.com. To completely transform the way you think about and relate to your child and to bring peace and stability to your home, join us for the next cohort of the Paradigm Shift program.